0: The Movement Brainery. You're listening to Masters in Motion, a limited edition podcast about physical therapy leaders and their stories so that we can apply those same lessons to our own lives and the challenges that lie ahead. guys so in this episode we're gonna wrap up our communication series the reason we decided to put out in a communication series is because let's be honest this might be the most important skill in physical therapy and there's almost no education on communication in pt school after school it's kind of up to you to figure this stuff out on your own so during this series, we had John Wolfe, Matt Erb, and Maxi Michak. All people, I think, have really valuable perspectives on communication. Remember, John Wolfe came from a sports medicine background, and he noticed how important this stuff was. Matt Erb had his own lived experience with trauma, and Maxi Michak just loved working with people that were a little bit tougher Probably not surprisingly, there were a lot of key themes that came up in these interviews, and I want to talk about what those were. But before I do, I do want to chat about something that I touched on a couple times during these interviews, something that I'm interested in, integrating some concepts from mindfulness into physical therapy practice. I want to talk about that here briefly because to me, this is like the glue that holds all of this stuff together. This concept of mindfulness gets thrown out a lot, but I want to go back and define it a little bit first. There are several keys to mindfulness in Eastern medicine traditions, but one of the keys as it implies to embodying a more mindful physical therapy practice, is this idea of non-judgmental awareness. As humans, our brains are constantly working. They're judging the events, not just experiencing them. Creating this sort of story about what's happening instead of just sitting there with it and letting it be. In essence, even when we see something, we're already doing something about it rather than just seeing it. This is kind of crazy. Think about the last time you are communicating with a person. Were you making a judgment about them or what they were saying or what you wanted to say next? Or were you just there listening? This sounds easy to do, but it's not. It never has been. Thoreau said, it's not what you look at. It's what you see. And I think that quote applies more to physical therapy in all forms, but particularly communication in so many ways. The difference between looking and seeing, between touching and feeling, and between listening and hearing is awareness. Meditation, a lot of times it gets gets blurred with mindfulness, but they're not really the same thing. Meditation is like an exercise to improve your mindfulness or awareness. And just like exercising regularly, setting aside time to meditate can improve your awareness. People think of meditation like a person sitting and being relaxed and calm, but that's not necessarily the case. Sure, you can experience those as side effects of meditation, but it's really just about being and observing. In physical therapy and particularly in the context of communication, being more mindful allows a couple things to become easier. It allows you to become more aware and listen, it allows you to be more curious, it allows you to maintain a little bit more of a beginner's mind, just like an open mind if you will. And it allows us to respond instead of react, which is a really key, important thing for communication. So, okay, when would this ability help us? Well, if we look back at some of the key themes from the communication series, one of the things that was brought up a few times is how to navigate therapeutic ruptures. Times when the patient might start to
1: question the value
0: of their relationship with you, which John Wolfe
1: describes here. So in psychotherapy, it's not uncommon to have a relationship where, you know, you're, you're working through some things. But part of the, the psychotherapist's job is to challenge the patient in ways. It, it's, it's not unlike what we're doing as physical therapists. We're trying to create an adaptation in their body, which means we have to challenge their body right? We ask them to do an exercise. We ask them to think about things and to activate things differently, or, and sometimes we're actually using our hands to move their body so that they can move it better. Psychotherapy is the same. And the ability to, to create this adaptation, to really stress, if you will, we're stressing the body. They're stressing one's mind and or beliefs and sometimes emotional capacity is the, Um, is is their ability to connect and guide people into it. If at any point the patient feels, or sometimes the therapist either, feels as though a line has been crossed and uh, a line's crossed meaning you've pushed me too far, there'll be a coping strategy that usually means that I I don't trust you anymore and I don't like you or I've I've somehow, um, I'm going to disconnect from you because somehow I've I've I caught on to something that that tells me I don't want to be a part of this and so it's a really tricky balance and and uh, with it's a really tricky balance for a a good therapist to be able to challenge somebody but keep them also in rapport in alignment in uh in relationship so the, the rupture is something that that can be a part of the therapeutic process, because sometimes the repair of the rupture is also therapeutic. So you really have to sometimes push the patient, not unlike us, push the patient, flare the patient up, but know that we have to keep them engaged and bring them back in so that that adaptation can happen.
0: Maxi Michak had another perspective on therapeutic ruptures.
2: Relationships are relationships. Right. And so whether you're in a physical therapy relationship, a psychotherapy, whether in your relationship, with your partner, a friend, whomever, there are going to be tensions there are going to be ruptures. They're inevitable. Uh, and so they're actually an opportunity for growth, um, I think, for for us as professionals and us for us as human beings, as people. Uh, and so, yeah, so I think that we need to kind of maybe embrace is a strong word to say about ruptures I mean really you know in a perfect world we kind of want to prevent them from happening, I guess or be relating in a way that minimizes rupture. but at the same time um, it's we're humans colliding again with other humans and so you know there are going to be tensions and and it's about how do we learn from them how do we use them as opportunities uh, to strengthen relationship but also to learn about ourselves?
0: If you respond appropriately, is it possible that these challenging moments are an opportunity to strengthen the relationship? In the communication series, another thing we talked about is how to negotiate beliefs. I think we all experience times when we might recognize a belief that might not be best serving the patient. But how do we react
1: when that's the case? Here are John Wolfe's thoughts. Well. You, you don't talk them out of it. That's the first thing. Beliefs are, beliefs are interesting constructs. They're, you know, a lot of people we hear about them all the time, but rarely do we truly understand what a belief is. A belief is something that someone holds to be true, and we see this especially now in today's uh, kind of political environment. People, in order to have a belief, in order to maintain a belief, you have to omit and distort facts. So beliefs are something that we hold to be true. They aren't necessarily true, but we we hold them to be true, which which means that if we hold something to be true, if we if we have a belief that something is is that the immunity is a bad example, but the election stolen, if we have a belief about that, well, it's going to be tough to talk somebody out of that. So generally, in the framework with a relationship-centered approach, is we we use the patient's understanding of the problem, and and this is to where it is certainly patient slanted, where we have to meet them where they are. So what we would do is we we would start uh, we would stay with the patient and say, okay, I wonder if you'd be willing to entertain a, a different and an additional idea. Okay. Now, this gets to the skills of us being great teachers. Now, for us to work with that person, we, we have to understand how they think about it, and how they believe it. We have to kind of create something that they can bridge over to. All right. So that's a process. And it's yeah. usually a skilled language process. We can do that. And Maxi Mieczak put it similarly.
2: I think the mindset that we take into our clinical interactions is important because if we want it to be about us changing somebody's mind then we're going to approach we're going to approach things like a dog with a bone right and we're going to we're going to try to change that person's mind versus let's say you go in with a mindset of i'm present <laughs> right i'm grounded this is a safe space for this person i'm going to receive what they're telling me about what they believe is going on with their body and i'm really going to try to understand that right? I'm really going to make an effort because people know when you're making an effort to understand where they're coming from.
0: And hear Matt Erb's thoughts on negotiating patient beliefs.
3: I'll
2: often ask people,
3: um, at this time, what, what do you believe is the cause of your blank? Or, uh, after that, I might say, what approaches do you you already know about, that you're, you've heard about, or that you're maybe interested in exploring to support you in your experience of whatever their problem is. Um, so that, that's a starting point.
0: Finally, we know that emotional co-regulation is a thing that happens, and contextual factors can influence relationships. This is something we talk about in the paper my co-authors and I published entitled, From Idea Cults to Clinical Chameleons. And we put forth this idea that, as clinicians, we just need to be a little bit more flexible and to be aware of how these contextual factors can influence the outcome of treatment, and how we might be able to influence those factors for the better. Maxie describes contextual factors like this.
2: We can can frame the clinical encounter in terms of contextual factors, and the interventions that we apply, right? And so the contextual factors have, can have effects on outcomes. They can have positive effects or they can have negative effects as well as specific interventions, right? So those are specific effects. So you have contextual effects and specific effects. And so the contextual factors are things like the therapeutic relationship, um, the ritual or the process of therapy, um, what the patient brings in, their characteristics, uh, the therapist's characteristics as well, the environment, how the environment is set up. Is it a professional environment? Um, And so all of those things within the context can influence the um, outcomes.
0: And what should we do when we get a quote-unquote difficult patient? We know that preferences for care are important, but how do the people on our podcast talk about this?
3: And it's that level of knowledge that needs humility in favor of the person in favor of the patient in front of you, because if they have belief systems that come from their culture or their upbringing, I just feel it's important to be able to build a bridge and temper my own current perception of what I know about the science or where this is heading or what's going to be most effective, uh, sometimes in favor of that person's preferences or beliefs.
0: Finally, Maxi Michak.
2: You can come at it. Let's say you're just, you know, you just haven't had time to get rid of the ultrasound machine. It's collected dust, but you just do not believe in it. Do not believe in it. Don't want to waste time doing it. You are adamant that you will never use that ultrasound machine again. And that there is no, that is it. There is no negotiating that. Hey, that is your, that as a clinician, you can do that, right? Like you can say, I don't, I don't do ultrasound, right? We don't do that. Uh, Now, if you're doing that, you also have to assess the risk of that, right, with the person. So you make that choice, you assess the risk. The risk is that you might rupture that relationship or or, or create so much tension that you can't recover from that in the relationship. Or you may do it and you may find other ways to connect with that person that creates a strong enough foundation to move forward, right? But ultimately, you have to assess, like, is is this the hill, Right, that I'm that I'm going to be on, and if it is, that's okay. But you also have to accept the consequence of that, right? Or, you know, you could say, okay, well, oh, yeah, damn, I should have gotten rid of that ultrasound machine. Since this person didn't see it over here, so so I didn't have this option. But I do, right? And so then it becomes that idea of okay. So tell me about your experience. Really, truly listening to their experience, acknowledging their experience, and that they believe that this helped them, right? You got to acknowledge that, right? And then we're talking about evidence-based. If you want to use the three pillars of evidence-based practice, right? Then it's about your experience as a clinician, right? And about the research around it, right? And not saying it in a way that once again, it's knowing how you are responding in the situation. Are you trying to convince them that they shouldn't have ultrasound? Or are you going in receptive enough to say, maybe with this person we might have to use ultrasound. So I'm just going to leave that space open, right, to negotiate. And if you're truly negotiating, then you may have in that space, creating that safe space of hearing that person and then presenting them with other information. They might have been able to receive that. They may have been able to engage with you and socially so that they could take that in. And then you make that, then you make that shared decision, right, with them. If they, if you decide, If they decide, no, you want to know, I want to try this, then maybe it is that you go, okay, what are the parameters around that? All right, knowing this and knowing my experience, how are we going to structure this so that we get the best use of the time that we have together and make sure that we're achieving your goals?
0: Ultimately, we did this communication series so that we could start to peel back a topic that I think we all know is hugely important in physical therapy. Is this something you think you can improve upon? Can you find a way to make this a strong point of your practice? To become a clinical chameleon? And to be more mindful now and in the future? And again, if you like the show, please consider two things for me. One, leave a review wherever you're listening. It, It just takes two seconds. And then head over to Facebook and join us in our group, Mindful Clinicians. See you there. Thanks for listening and stay
3: strong.